Hey there, podcast listener. Chris Roseborough here right at the front of the podcast. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. If you don't already support us financially, we truly can use your help. So get on your computer. Go on over to fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons and support us. And, of course, if you would like to do it the traditional way, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your financial support because we truly can't do what we're doing here without it. All right, on to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, June 6th, 2013. Today's episode of Fighting for the Faith is brought to you by the word anthropocentric. The driving force behind all false theology everywhere. Anthropocentricism. Them, them. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. So there's a lot of talk in the church today about how to be Christ-centered, and one of the things I find really um, shockingly disturbing, if you would, uh, when I hear seeker-driven megachurches, you know, applying the Christ-centered moniker to themselves, is that when you check to see, well, if that's really true, you know, is their theology, is their teaching, is their preaching truly Christ-centered? The answer is no. <laughs> it's like not even close. In fact, one of the things I've noticed is that one of the things that false theology has, all false theology has in common, is that it has a morbid, uh, hor horrible, uh, anthropocentric uh, bent to it. That would be, you know, highly man-centered. Uh, aside from the fact that it tries to do theology by basically ripping Bible verses out of context, and one of the metaphors I use constantly here is uh, I, I refer to it as strip mining the Bible for relevant life tips that people can apply to their lives. This, this is kind of the, uh, the the major idea behind being purpose driven, if you would. You know, you have to have it's 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 super application uh, it, so that it'll change people's lives, and they think that that's what it means to preach authoritatively, like Jesus preached authoritatively. But if you, uh, if you I, I kind of you know go, going off on a tangent here for a second, um, you know, the, the, the thing I have in mind, it, it, it kind of front and center, is uh, Andy Stanley's book, Deep and Wide. Um, it, it, <laughs> it, it needs to be renamed. Uh, that book is not deep, nor is it wide. It's shallow and really thin. Um, and uh, Andy Stanley gets so many things wrong, it's difficult to unpack it all. But one of the things he does there is he talks about the importance of transformational preaching that is authoritative the way Jesus' uh, preaching was authoritative. And what he means by that is, is that it had really strong applications that people can apply. That's what he thinks 
defines uh, Jesus's authority when he preached, but that's not it at all. Take a time. In fact, if you if you're not sure about this, I would, would take a few minutes, and what I would do is I would go to Matthew chapter five, and you start at Matthew chapter five verse one, and then continue to you know was it like to the end or you know most way most of the way through chapter seven. That's what's called the Sermon on the Mount, and as you're reading through that. Make a note of, you can either use a highlighter or an underliner, or just, you know, make a mental note. Um, if you have a digital Bible, it helps too. You can hi- digitally highlight if you're using Logos or if you are using Accordance or, you know, other Bible software. And everywhere that Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. But I say. But I say. That's what marks Jesus's preaching as authoritative, especially in the context of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, but in other places, because it's after that particular sermon where we get the response from the crowd of, whoa, uh, we've got a a teaching and with authority, it's not at all like the teaching that we're getting uh, from the scribes and the Pharisees, okay? And what what that means is, is that Notice that Jesus isn't speaking as somebody who's handling the oracles of God or merely handling the oracles of God. Instead, Jesus is preaching as if he himself is delivering oracles of God, and he's doing so in his own name. You've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. And the real kicker comes toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says regarding the day of judgment that many will come to him in that day and say, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name and do this amazing thing in your name and all these things in Jesus' name, right? And then the real kicker comes when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. So who's the Lord who people are standing before on the day of judgment? It's none other than Jesus Christ. So when we read in the Bible that Jesus said, uh, it's said of Jesus that he preached authoritatively, that does not mean that Jesus, uh, when he preached, made sure to always have really powerful life transformational applications in his uh, sermons. That's not what that means at all. When it says that Jesus preached with authority, it means that he spoke as, well, God himself. Very different. You know, a a scribe or a Pharisee would have to say, well, God says this. But Jesus comes along and says, you've heard it said, but I say. That's what it means to preach with authority. You know, as you can tell, I'm, you know, I'm trying to work up some more formal responses to uh, Andy Stanley's uh, book, Deep and Wide, because there are so many things that go wrong there. Um, that it's, um, in fact, but there's two primary ways in which it goes wrong that, you know, kind of about a third of the way through the book, uh, where there's two primary questions regarding who the church is for. And, uh, I forget the other one off the top of my head, but, um, he gets, he gets them both wrong. And what's funny here is that in Andy Stanley's book, Deep and Wide, I, I don't know why I'm talking about this, but actually I do, because we're talking about the, the difference between anthropocentric versus Christocentric. The, keep that in mind. Um, but uh, coming back to Andy Stanley, one of the things that he says, he tries to put out this this argument, which is a common argument now to, nowadays, especially in light of Frank Viola's books, uh, this idea that, oh, Christianity was, when when church when the church would gather before 
the uh, before the uh, the Council of Nicaea at Constantinople, you know Constantine, that rascal, he really messed up Christianity. And this is the, how the argument goes: you know, when the church met, it was really informal. It was just a gathering of people, and the, and they and they would have a they would have a meal together, and and it really there wasn't a formal structure or anything like that. And boy, it's a seductive argument, but historically it doesn't stand up to scrutiny at all. And what's funny is, is I'm, I'm working on an article and I'm hesitant to publish it. <laughs> and you're thinking, well, Chris, you're rarely hesitant to publish anything and take these people on. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> however, if I publish this article, many of you are going to read this and afterwards you might want to consider stoning me. Uh, the reason, <laughs> the reason why is because um, several reasons. Uh, the, the the I'll tell you what the argument is that you know I would use against it immediately. Uh, very familiar with the writings of the Church Fathers and uh, and Justin Martyr. I don't know if you're familiar with Justin Martyr. He's uh, what, a second century Christian martyr, and he um, is one of the first guys to describe you know what what was what was going on in christian churches of his time and um he is one of the guys who's credited with um for, uh, with helping us develop or understand the ancient what's called the liturgy okay and then when you read um uh, you read more of the church fathers we actually have in written form the the liturgical structure and the things that they said in the ancient churches long before the Council of Nicaea, and believe me when I tell you, um, when you look at those at the at the liturgies that were being used in the ancient church, number one, it'll challenge some of your theology if you're kind of the generic everyday American evangelical. The reason why is because. Uh, the ancient church's uh, understanding of what the scriptures teach regarding baptism and the Lord's Supper is very different than what uh, generic grassroots uh, American evangelicalism teaches. And it would it it was it's one of those things where you put it out there that well here's what they said and and you know what the, this is how they understood the scripture and I think they understood it rightly. But the thing is, is that it'll challenge you, and that's it's a stumbling block for a lot of people. But when you get past that stumbling block, and then you take a look at at what the church did, it was not just an informal small group gathering where people were, you know, sitting around chatting and and you know taking turns sharing the scripture and stuff like that. Um, no, it's not that at all. And I'm talking about documents that predate Constantine. And so one of the things I'm always very um, – and, and I, I'm kind of working off the cuff here. One of the things I'm always very leery of are those arguments that that depend upon uh, the explanation as to why the church doesn't – hasn't practiced the right thing. It's because of that rascal and that evil villain Constantine. And uh, when somebody has to resort to an argument like that, I know that uh, you know nine ninety nine times out of a hundred, actually uh, nine hundred ninety nine times out of a thousand, uh, that it's a bad historical argument. Um, we, when you have to vilify Constantine to ex, you know come up with the explanation as to why the church doesn't look like the way uh, you know in, in in the ancient church doesn't look anything like 
what you're saying it should have looked like. Well, it's because your idea of what it should have looked like is not how it looked like because historically you're wrong. And so, you know, you think of it this way. If you, have you ever, have you ever taken the time to actually meet with the Mormons? Now I, I talk about the fact that I have. Um, and one of the things that they say, I mean, this is straight up, it, it, you know, and this is an answer to kind of the bigger, broader question, you know, because Mormonism claims to be, you know, the, the Christianity restored. They claim to be the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And the is like the important, uh, the important thing. They claim that they are teaching true Christianity. Mormonism is true Christianity, and it's the Christianity that the apostles learned from Jesus. So the immediate question comes up when you ask the Mormon, well, if that's true, then why, why, why um, does the ancient church and Christianity not teach Mormonism? I mean, if that's really true biblical Christianity, and their answer pretty much goes along the lines of the metaphor they use. They say, well, imagine that ancient, you know, the ancient Christianity is like a table with 12, um, you know, with 12 legs, and, and those 12 legs are the 12 apostles. And as each of the apostles dies, a leg is cut off, and, and at the end... Christianity collapses with the death of the last apostle, and, it, and true Christianity ceases to exist, and it, it's it's gone off the face of the earth because there was a great apostasy that apparently uh, began uh, <laughs> the second that the apostle John ceased breathing. And um, it doesn't make any sense. And so you take them to a biblical text like where Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. This is Jesus' promise to the church. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. This is, these are statements by Jesus. And you, say, and you just turn right around and you say, well, sounds to me like uh, the gates of hell, not only do they prevail against the church, they just steamroller it all over it. And that Jesus actually was the most miserable of people when it came to picking responsible guys who would actually disciple the nations. Because like, remember, Jesus sends out the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching them all that I've commanded you. And the guys that he entrusted with this task were the uh, the, you know, the the 12 apostles. Actually, it was 11, and then you got Matthias who got... Uh, Put he took over Judas's spot, and then I, and then you got uh, the apostle Paul, who was abnormally born, which is kind of a weird thing to you know actually deal with there. But the point is, is that Jesus is the one who picked all of these guys, and Jesus didn't know what he was doing. He was the worst leader ever, according to Mormon theology, because none of the guys that he picked to actually preach and teach and disciple the nations were capable of actually making any real disciples. And once all the twelve disciples died. Uh, Christianity ceased to exist, and that's their explanation as to why uh, Mormonism, you don't see it in the writings of the church fathers, because they apostatize, and then they, uh, and the, you know, then there's some theories about, you know, them expunging the uh, the records, so, you know, there's there's missing data, you know, it, it, they, you know we would have been all believing uh, Mormonism if it wasn't for the apostasy in the church right after the death of the last apostles. All of that's to say this, is that that's their explanation as to why Christianity, uh, you know, the ancient church fathers don't preach Mormon doctrine. That's their explanation for it, okay? In a similar way, there's people today who are basically trying to find a way to take the seeker-driven model of church and plug it into church history, okay? And they, they would basically say, listen, okay, 
the church was missional, it was relational, it was all of these things until Constantine. See, when the church used to gather, it was just an informal gathering. It was more like a small group study and, and, you know, and things like that. And there wasn't any structure to it. It was just kind of a free flowing assembly, you know, of, of people that came together. And, uh, and, and, and see, and then Constantine, he shows up. And Constantine, he's the one who changes everything and turns Christianity into something that it's not. And all of these pagan practices, you know, where we got, where we have pastors and then you have deacons and then you have church buildings and sermons, all of those things, you know, and in-depth Bible teaching, all of those were a result of Constantine's meddling and basically taking imperial ideas and foisting them into the church and stuff. You know, that's not true at all. And when you take the time to historically look at how the church was organized, what they did when they came together, you can't get any of that. Now, all of that is kind of under the bigger rubric that I've been talking about, and that's this. When we listen to false theology, okay, it has to, number one, uh, come up with some kind of an explanation as to why it's showed up and why it hasn't been around for 2,000 years. You know, false theology is new and novel by its very nature, and so it always has to come up with an explanation as to, well, how'd you, co- how'd you come to be here? We, we haven't seen this theology represented for the past 2,000 years. How'd you come to be here? They say, oh, well, this is what we, the, where Christianity believed, but Constantine wiped it out. Oh, okay, well, welcome, brother. That's how it goes. But the other, the other issue is that false theology is habitually anthropocentric. It will point you to humans not point you to Christ and him crucified for our sins. It doesn't rightly handle God's word. It doesn't rightly have Christ as the center. Yet, ironically, it will, false theology will give lip service and claim to be Christ-centered. And you're thinking, well, on what grounds? Because it's not actually centering on Christ in its preaching. Well, on the grounds that, well, people are becoming more like Jesus. You see, because it's to them, Christ-centered means human beings applying to themselves principles that they've, you know, they've been stripped mind from the Bible that they can apply to their lives so they can experience life transformation. And life transformation means going from being purposeless to being more like Jesus. But if you take the time to parse what I just said, all of that is nothing less than true man-centered theology, not Christ-centered theology, because in that schema, you don't preach about Christ you and what he's done. You preach about what you have to do and apply to be more like Jesus. That's actually anthropocentric, not Christocentric. Christ, true Christocentric uh, theology and doctrine, which would be biblical Christianity, actually focuses in on the object of our faith, and that's our crucified and risen Lord. God incarnate, born of the Virgin Mary, the one who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. That's, that is the preaching and the center and the subject and the thing to, to focus on in our, in our theology, in our devotions, in our messages that we hear on Sunday after Sunday, not ourselves. And a lot of people are schnookered. They're deceived into believing that they're hearing Christ-centered preaching 
that basically says you need to be more like Jesus. Well, just parse the sentence. You need to be. That you, that's the subject of the sentence. Need to be is the is the imperative. So it's not focusing on Jesus, even though it says you need to be more like Jesus. It's actually focusing on you. And why? Because it doesn't understand the gospel. It that it and it confuses law and gospel constantly. So believe it or not, that's what we're going to be talking about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. And as I've been you know, I ended up waxing a little bit eloquent there on the um, on the opening for the program. But let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith with the time that remains. What we're going to do, actually, is we're going to take a break. We are going to take a break and uh, pay some bills. When we come back, we're going to listen to uh, one of the uh, newer guys on the Patricia King Gang XPmedia.com website. His name is Matt Sorger. And I want to give you a, a supreme example of anthropocentric, not biblically based, you know, spinning things out of your head uh, type of uh, Christianity. And I put that in air quotes so that you can hear what anthropocentric preaching really actually sounds like. Then what we will do is uh, in hour number two, we're going to spend a little bit of time listening to uh, uh, Matt's uh, uh, Sorger and his uh, Destined for Greatness speech. And then in hour number two, we'll, we'll do a full-blown sermon review um, uh, from uh, Troy Gramling over at Potential Church out there in uh, in Florida. And the name of the sermon is called Unexpected. And I think it's another supreme example of anthropocentric preaching that that he would say is Christocentric, but it's not. And you have to learn the difference between the two. So today's episode, yeah, kind of last few episodes, I've been putting the themes out there kind of for you to see them out in the open so that you can see what we're doing here at Fighting for the Faith. And uh, the idea here is, is that each episode of Fighting for the Faith does have an undergirding theological theme. Uh, today's episode really has to do with the difference of distinguishing between true and false doctrine based upon the center of the theology. Is it truly Christocentric or is it anthropocentric masquerading or giving lip service to being Christocentric? That's, you know, that's a very important distinction to keep in mind. And then tomorrow when we listen to our good sermon uh, for the week, you know, we'll end off with a good sermon. I'm picking one that I think exemplifies what true Christocentric preaching sounds like. It may be more, but uh, you know, I, I still have yet to f- finalize who's going to be uh, who's going to be preaching the good sermon tomorrow. So, it kind of lets you know that today's episode and tomorrow's episode do work together, at least uh, in the sermons uh, do by via contrast. So. What we're going to do, we'll take our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. When we come back, uh, first time listening to this guy, Matt Sarger, talking about how you are destined for greatness. Does that sound great? I mean, it's probably not a biblical message, though. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. 
We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Bird Cage Theater presents Church Day Select. I do wish these planes would give us passengers more legroom. Hey, let me help you with your luggage. Oh, thank you so much. What in the world do you have in these bags? Bricks. Bricks? I'm a door-to-door brick salesperson. I'm not even going to ask. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fastened seatbelt sign. If you have not already done so, please stow your carry-on luggage underneath the seat in front of you or in an overhead bin. Please take your seat and fasten your seatbelts and make sure your seat back and tray tables are in their full upright and locked positions. Thank you. Thank you, Brittany. In case y'all don't know me, I'm Mark Driscoll, and I'm going to be your pilot for today. Oh, dear. He looks more like a terrorist, if you ask me. If any of you passengers feel at any time that you could pilot this plane better than me, then you'll be swiftly thrown under the bus. I mean plane. As you may have noticed, there are also no parachutes on this flight, which means, should you be thrown off the plane, that your landing will be unpleasant. We thank you for flying Mars Hill Air with us today. I guess it's time to take off, then. Well, let's just hope our flight to Boston will be nice and easy. Jersey anyway! That's it! God, please escort this man to the back of the plane for violent ejection. Hey! I have my rights! You can't do this to people! Oh, but I can. I can't believe that just happened! There's something seriously wrong with all of this. Uh, this is your captain speaking. Do not be alarmed. You are now free to move about the cabin and do as you please. Just whatever you do, don't question my actions or authority. So you're a brick salesperson, huh? Yep. But why on earth would you want to talk about something like that at a time like... Oh. Yeah. I'm thinking it's time that Mr. High and Mighty got relieved of his duties. It is now time for you all to buckle your seatbelts and hold on tight because we are about to start doing barrel rolls. He's going to do what? <laughs> Remember to always trust your pilots. I know what I'm doing. Um, I do believe the ground is getting awfully close.
Have you purchased your airline tickets for your summer getaway yet? If not, don't pay more for your airfare, hotel room, or rental car than you need to. Long-time Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air is your one-stop shop for all of your travel needs. And we've got a special promo code for you to use at Cheapo Air to save an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, then click on the web banner and book your travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That website address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. And thank you for your support. Cowabunga. Mark your calendar now for April 25, 26, and 27, 2014. You see, it's not too soon to be making your plans, saving your pennies, and asking for work off April 25, 26, and 27 of 2014 for the 11th annual Branson Worldview Weekend. This past year, we had people from all over the country and actually from other countries join us in the beautiful rolling hills of Branson, Missouri. So if you're looking to attend the premier Understanding the Times Biblical Worldview Weekend, then join us April 25, 26, and 27 of 2014 for the Branson Worldview Weekend. It's for all ages. Children 11 and under are free. We also have a group rate and a family rate. The Worldview Weekends have been around since 19. 93. So we're one of the oldest biblical worldview conferences in America. So mark your calendar now for Branson, Missouri, April 25, 26, and 27, 2014. Bum, 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 bum. Na, 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 na. All right, we're back. Uh, warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your pastor is engaging in anthropocentric teaching, not Christocentric preaching. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $6.95. That's it, just $6.95, although we'll be... Bumping that up about the time of our five-year anniversary coming up at the end of the month, just so you know, we are definitely working on that, and we'll have the opportunity for people to uh, pick different levels that they would like to contribute monthly. Um, we haven't up, we have really haven't updated that in five years, but so we will be doing that, but not yet. So, but you can still get in at at the uh, six ninety-five uh, a month if you want to do that. Uh, click on the uh, Join Our Crew button. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Moving along. 
So, if you would like an example of <clears throat> anthropocentric preaching that isn't actually grounded in the scriptures, because the scriptures are about Christ, they're not really about you, um, well, then here's an example uh, from Matt Sorger of the uh, XP Media gang, of the Patricia King gang, if you would, talking about destined for greatness. See if any of this makes any biblical sense to you. How many, no, seriously, how many are really ready to go higher? I mean, you're really ready. You see, that anointing in you, it, it does. It, it takes all the earthly limitations that are there and just pushes them right to the side. Earthly limitations, goodbye. What text are you preaching from again? Yeah, that's what I say to demons when I see a demon. Goodbye. <laughs> then they just have to leave. Power of God. His kingdom is that DNA of heaven inside of you. Overthrow sickness, overthrow... The DNA of heaven inside of you. Uh, what passage from the Bible talks about the DNA of heaven inside of me that overthrows anything? I'm not familiar with that passage. But boy, this sure does make me sound really important, though, doesn't it? Makes me want to go shine my shoes and, you know, like, you know, put my shoulders back and hold my head high, you know. Weaknesses, overthrows demons, removes limitations, releases favor, opens doors that no man can shut, puts you in the right place at the right time to meet the right person. Puts you in the right place in the right time to meet the right person. Boy, oh, man. Yeah, I am so important, man. Woo, yeah. Makes me feel all goosey, bumply, tingly inside all about me. Yeah, um, that's, see, that's the problem, though. That's actually not a good thing. That's a really bad thing. God brings divine alignment. I tell you what, when you get... God's going to give me an uh, work on my alignment? Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, because every time I go to get the tires changed on the uh, PCR truck, you know, we've got to do the alignment. And so... <clears throat> properly aligned with the kingdom of God, your whole life comes into alignment. Your steps are ordered by God. Sometimes you don't even know it. You're just walking and your steps are ordered by God. It's not even like, gosh, I take this step. Gosh, I do this. No, you're just walking in the spirit and your steps are just ordered by God. He puts this person in place, puts that situation in place. Now notice he's using the name God. I mean, this sounds like it would be a God-centered message, right? No, pay attention to what he's saying. This isn't about Christ. This isn't about Jesus. This is about you. And you know what he doesn't have? An open Bible. You know what he's not doing? He's not actually exegeting a any passage. He's not telling you what any passage of Scripture says in any context of Scripture at all. He's just telling you, oh man, you are important and you got some major things happening for you because you is, you know, that's, you know. Just begins to orchestrate. That's divine favor. I tell you, when you walk in the kingdom of God, you will live in divine favor. When you walk in the, you will. You, you, you are the subject of the sentence, right? Not Jesus for you. You are the, this is anthropocentric. One of the hallmarks of false teaching. Hey, guys. I forgot I have a people back here. <laughs> you will live in divine favor. 
Can I tell you? I remember a few years back when we were not on television and God spoke to me in prayer. He said, Matt, I've called you to media and I'm going to have you go on television. And the Lord said to me, I don't want you to go knocking on any network doors. I just want you to pray. And I'm going to cause the networks to come to you. <laughs> That's what God said to me. Now, sometimes God will tell you to take action. And t- so God, really, God told you that, huh? So now he's exegeting something he believes God told him. Yeah, I think we might need to have you uh, examine, make sure that you're not, you know, suffering from delusions or something here. Sometimes he will tell you, do not act and pray. And that action is just the same as an action that you would take because it's about obedience to God. So the Lord told me, he said, man, I'm going to put you on television. I don't want you knocking on any network doors. Just pray over it. So I said, okay, God, I'll pray over it. So I started to commit it to God in prayer. As I was praying over it, now, this is really something, every, each piece, each act of obedience is a, you know, is a piece of the puzzle. I remember I was ministering at a conference and I was a, a special speaker at a conference and the host had a television ministry. And I remember during that time, the Lord spoke to me and he said, Matt, I want you to take the honorarium that this ministry is going to give you for speaking. And I want you to sew it back into their television ministry. And I thought to myself, God. They're a bigger ministry than me. They have more money than me. They probably don't need my honorarium. I think I need it more than they do, God. Who's he preaching about? He's not preaching about Jesus. He's preaching about himself. Again, it sounds like he's, this is something to do with God, but it's not. This has nothing to do with God. He's not preaching the Bible. He's claiming to get, receive these direct revelations, and he's telling his life stories this is utterly anthropocentric and the the man that he's focusing in on is well is matt sorger himself (laughs) and the lord said do you want a television ministry (laughs) i said well yeah god because i believe that's your will so the lord said so into their television ministry yeah that's not god by the way because nowhere in the bible does it teach you to um so money into somebody's ministry it's not a biblical teaching so i said okay god but you know what a joy came in my heart and an excitement and a faith so i gladly did it so anyway i'm in prayer i'm not i'm i'm not knocking on doors saying please you know put me on your tv network please you know you know do this for me and you know but i'm obeying god doing what he tells me to do not obeying what's in the written word, whatever he believes God's telling him directly. So anyway, I go home from that conference. A little bit of time passes by, and the phone rings in our office in New York. And it was uh, one of the television networks. The head of the network was in prayer one day, and the Lord put my face in front of her. And when God put my face in front of her, spoke to her and said, he's supposed to have a TV show on your network. So they called me up and they said, do you have a TV show? So-and-so. Now, weird. Again, the name of this message is Destined for Greatness. Apparently, he's destined for greatness. I mean, and see, God wants you to be destined for greatness, just like he's destined for greatness, too, you know? Feels God telling them that, you know, you're supposed to be on the network. I was like, well, now I do. <laughs> so, I mean, we cranked our TV show into gear. I mean, we got that thing off the ground and launched on the network. And I tell you what, God was so faithful. He said, Matt, 
I'm going to bring the network to you. You're not going to have to knock on any doors. And as I just been walking the Lord in prayer, I tell you what, network after network after network has just called us and said, we've seen your show. We want your show. Come on to our network. And now we have all this whole list of networks that have opened their doors up to host our television program. So again, the focus him, this is anthropocentric. This is not Christocentric. Be cool. So now the show airs in over 200 nations of the world, reaches a half a billion people right now. In the U.S. reaches probably about 50 million just in the United States. But there's another network that's opened their doors to us, and they reach two and a half billion people around the world. So we're just in the process of walking this thing out and as the Holy Spirit leads us. But I just tell you what, you know, when you, when you walk in the Spirit and you are obedient to God, when he puts his favor on you, he will, I don't care what devil comes against you. I don't care now, what. Here, here comes the, you know, the, the, the pep talk now. Again, what text is he preaching this from? Hmm, he's not. These are just spiritualized life coaching type slogans of some sort or another that focus in on you because, oh, you you want to have these results in your life too, don't you? I mean, isn't this how they sell like, you know, Amway products and stuff like that? You know, try to get people to go double diamond and, you know, and talk about, you know, how, you know, how this multi-level marketing thing has changed their life. Isn't that how it all works? You know, the testimonial is the proof that the product works. So the product is, is God. And his greatness that he's experienced and the favor he's having and all that kind of stuff is proof that the product works. And what's the, what's the product offer you? Well, greatness. I mean... We're ta- you, you're going you're gonna to have divine favor and stuff like that. And, of course, there's that because he talked about the importance of sowing money into somebody else's television ministry. That's kind of a soft sell to kind of hint, 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 wink, wink, wink. Uh, could you like sow into my ministry so God will bless you for your greatness? Yeah. Uh-huh. This is a Ponzi scheme on top of it. Circumstance you face, I don't care even what human people do. When God's hand is on you, God is going to cause his plan and his will to manifest in your life. No matter what opposition is there before you. Oh, yeah. It sounds so pious. It sounds so true, right? Again, what verse is he preaching from here? And who's the focus on? It ain't on God. Man can get jealous of you. Man can steal from you. Man can try to push you down. Devils can harass you. Push you. Man can be jealous of you. You, you, you. This is about you, 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 you. But God's assignment for your life is greater than every any demonic assignment. And God's assignment is the assignment that's going to be fulfilled if you choose to walk in the Spirit. And If. Yeah, see, yeah, that's, that's a big if. If you, uh, if you choose to walk in the Spirit, of course, you know, that would mean also sowing into his ministry financially. But if you choose to walk into the Spirit, then you can have, you know, this abundant favor and greatness and destiny for your life. Follow God and obey God. Somebody shout hallelujah. Yeah, notice the focus isn't on Christ who suffered on the cross for your sins, obeyed God perfectly for you. Uh, his perfect righteousness is given to you as a gift. No, no, this is all works-based. I mean, you got to get busy if you want to get ready for greatness.
So it's time, church. It's time to move forward. It's time to advance forward. It's time to live like who we really are. Yeah, that's uh, that just sounds so, yeah, again, it sounds so Christian, right? But again, who's the focus on? You. Um, what text is he preaching? Mm, he is not. This isn't a biblical text. This isn't a biblical preaching at, at all. This isn't Christian doctrine. This isn't biblical doctrine. This is just a guy with a television show. Wash your mind clean. Never take on a past sin as a current identity. Ever. Oh, yeah. That sounds so Christian, right? Where does the Bible say that again? Don't ever let a mistake or a sin or something you did in your past, don't ever let that thing hang around in your mind saying, well, that's what you are. That's who you are. That's what you did. So that, I mean, I can't stand it when people who drank alcohol, they walk around saying, hi, I'm Joe. I'm an alcoholic. And they label themselves as an alcoholic based on a past behavior. Uh-oh, yeah, because power of words mean that that's what you're going to do, right? No. No, your past sin, your past actions and behavior, that is not who you are today. Who you are is a new creation in Christ. Who you are is seated in heavenly places in Christ. Who you are, you are a king and a priest unto God. You're consecrated, sanctified. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have power over sin, power to have joy, power to have peace, power to have... You have, you have, you have, you have. Who's the sermon about? You, it's about you, it's about you, it's about you. This has nothing, this is not a Christocentric message at all in fact the farthest thing from it and just because he's taken enough bible verses out of context to you know add it as like a salt additive or an artificial preservative over this you know self-centered anthropocentric message doesn't actually mean it's biblical victory power to be who god has called you to be so you got to choose to shut the mouth of the accuser, shut the mouth of the devil, tell him to get lost when he tries to whisper at you or project on you. Take your stand for who you really are. Because what you have is what you'll be able to give away. What you know you have, not just what you have, what you know you have you'll be able to give away, whether that's healing power, delivering power, whether it's a gift or a talent. Again, what passages say any of this? None. Or something God has put on the inside of you that's just waiting to get out to transform the world. Because you're called, you're destined to be a kingdom influencer. That is what you're... you're mm, yeah, called, to, destined to be a kingdom influence. Oh, it's, again, you know, he's mentioned God. He's talked about walking in the Spirit, even threw in a couple of Bible verses. And yet, none of this is biblical. None of this is Christ-centered. That is your highest calling. Whatever gift God's given you, whatever abilities he's given you, you are called as a kingdom influencer for, to partner with God, co-labor with God. To transform the world that you live in. Hallelujah. Yeah, no, now you're taking God's name in vain because when you say hallelujah, God's covenant name is in that word. God is not putting his stamp of approval on any of this. This is utter blasphemy. By the way, this is exactly what it means to take God's name in vain. You're hearing it happen right here and right now. This is blasphemy. You give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah. 
And I just really, I want to close with this thought. I just really want you to know God is for you. He is on your side. And even when you mess up, even when you make a mistake, yeah, even when you make a bad choice, God is fighting for you. He believes in you because he's on the inside of you. And he will never quit. He will never. St- yeah, I know. That that's, again, it sounds so great, doesn't it? Where is any of this said in the Bible? This is just one litany of unfounded assertions regarding God with no grounding whatsoever, or even touch points in many cases, with anything that the Bible really says in context. And yet these people feel like they're hearing Christian doctrine, that this is a Christian man preaching about the, 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 the God of Christianity. He's not. He's preaching about himself, and he's not the God of Christianity. Stop working in you until you are exactly who he has destined and designed you to be. Hallelujah. Again, that's blasphemy. He's putting the, the real name of God on this false teaching of his. You're destined for greatness. Oh, <laughs> I don't think so. Yes, you are. Yeah, no, I, I really, I don't even think about it. You are destined for greatness. Would you knock it off? I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I don't need to hear your narcissistic smoke being blown at me. It's just, that's what it is. It's just narcissistic smoke. If you have any encouragement to bring me, then bring it from the word of God, not this nonsense. It's not about what you've, where you've come from. It's about where you're going. Oh, yeah. Oh, that sounds so profound, doesn't it? It's nonsense. This is utter, narcissistic, anthropocentric nonsense. And some of the warfare you've had to face in your life is not about what you, where you've come from. It's been about where you're going. Because sometimes, sometimes, sometimes the devil knows a little bit about where you're going. And he'll try to take you out before you get there. But I, oh, yeah, that's great. And all. Where, where'd you get this theology from again? A Cracker Jack box? Tell you what, just like, I, I, you know, one of those fortune cookies. Is that where you got this from? Because it's not from the Bible. The devil has an assignment. God has an assignment. And you know what I saw prophetically during worship this morning? You- yeah, actually, you didn't see anything. This is a lie. What I saw, I saw a vision of Moses in the basket floating down the Nile River. And the Lord spoke to me and he said that there is someone in this house. You're going to be like a Moses where, where it's like the devil tried to take you out because of the destiny that is in front of you. But just like God preserved Moses, God's going to preserve you and God has preserved you and your death. You, 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 you. Yeah. True biblical Christian doctrine is about Jesus, 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 and what he's done for you. Big difference. This is anthropocentric, not Christocentric. Destiny truly is great, and your destiny truly is to influence a whole nation. Hallelujah. I saw that in the spirit. I saw it very clearly in the spirit. No, you didn't. And you're blaspheming. So some of you, some of you, I don't know who it is, but you, you've had, 
you've had to go through some spiritual opposition and some spiritual warfare. And it's not because of what you've come out of. It's because of where... It sounds like one of those readings by Miss Chloe on the late night uh, infomercial type of stuff. Yeah, the same kind of technique used by those charlatans. Going. But just remember, you keep pressing, you keep standing, and you win. You keep standing. See, the one who wins is the one who's standing at the end. You may look a little beat up, but, you know, you should see the other guy. Oh, there's a shout on the inside of someone. I feel it. Woo! I feel it. <laughs> when I launched out into travel ministry, I pastored five years, launched out, traveling out for 10 years. We've been in over 25 nations of the world. We've seen thousands of people saved, healed, delivered by the power, the demonstration power of God. We've seen Hindus saved, Muslims saved, Buddhists saved. We've seen demons come out of people. Yeah, based on the message that you're preaching, you don't preach the biblical gospel. They haven't actually been saved from anything. They're still dead in their trespasses and sins. Sickness is healed, cancer healed, arthritis healed, blind eyes, deaf ears. Are you the younger brother of Todd Bentley? Multiple sclerosis, tumors. I mean, we've seen some amazing miracles by the hand of God. We've seen God, re we've seen creative miracles. Yeah, creative miracle. Yeah, wow, yeah. So like, you know, somebody painted the Mona Lisa in like three minutes. Is that what you mean? People born without ears, without eardrums. Hear the popping of the power of God on the inside of their head and God forms eardrums on the inside of their head and opens up. Yeah, I, I'd like to see the proof of that. And even if it was a valid miracle, that doesn't actually prove that your message is true. Your message is contrary to Scripture and focuses me on me, not me on Christ. And Jesus is the author and the perfecter and the center and the source and the object of our faith. Their deaf ears. I mean, we've seen some crazy stuff. I saw the Lord heal this one young man, took all tumors out of his head. He had nine head surgeries, lived on a morphine drip because of the pain. As he was in the meeting, God reconstructed his face. His whole face was distorted down because of the surgeries on his head. But as he sat under the presence of God... Yeah, uh, again, um, could we see the uh, medical verified evidence for that, please? The Lord reconstructed his face, removed all the tumors from his head, and totally healed him. Oh, it sounds so great, doesn't it? It just sounds so amazing, doesn't it? Again, uh, we're 13 minutes into this, and I'm going to stop right here. Did he tell you anything about Jesus? Nope. Did he tell you about anything that Jesus has really done? Nope. Who did he focus you on? You and your destiny and your greatness. And God is there to, to make you Great. Hmm. Is that the message of Christianity? No. And see, this goes back to my point. This one's a little easier to pick up. But when we do our sermon review on the other side of the break, again, it's not necessarily as easy to spot it that time around. But again, a good question for you to ask yourself when you're sitting in your megachurch, if you attend one, is who is the pastor really focusing me on? Is this sermon truly Christ-centered? And Christ-centered in the sense that the pastor has gotten up into the pulpit, opened up the Word of God, 
and has showed me Jesus and what Jesus has done for me, what Jesus has truly said, what Jesus has truly taught, what Jesus truly commands, offered me the true comfort that Jesus offers all of humanity? Or has he just given me law passage, preaches, uh, preached about me, and tried to give me a good shot in the arm of encouragement to make me motivated to live in the Spirit, apply these principles, experience life change so that I can X, Y, or Z? You see, if it's that, then it's not Christ-centered. If it's that, well, it's truly anthropocentric. The one thing it is not is Christocentric. Okay, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, sermon review, we'll be heading back down to Florida to Potential Church. It's not really a church. It's just a church in Potential. Let's see what they're up to lately. See if they figured out what Christocentric means. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Have you purchased your airline tickets for your summer getaway yet? If not, don't pay more for your airfare, hotel room, or rental car than you need to. Long-time Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air is your one-stop shop for all of your travel needs. And we've got a special promo code for you to use at Cheapo Air to save an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, then click on the web banner and book your travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That website address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. And thank you for your support. Cowabunga.
come in. What was I just doing, you might ask? Well, I just conquered the outer rim planet of Picopon with my trusty double-barreled nuclear plasma cannon. Well, I just did in this video game. But how is it possible for someone like myself to play 13 hours straight and not get a headache? It's quite simple, really. It's because I wear gunners. When I'm rocking these babies, I'm unstoppable. They're not limited to just games, mind you. Oh, no! I rock the spreadsheet, the PowerPoint, the word processor, and when that's all done, I hop my T-16 and fry me some toasters. If you want to get in on the action, then head over to piratechristianradio.com forward slash gunners. You gotta see it to believe it. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. Keep in mind our theme for today, anthropocentric versus Christocentric. False theology focuses you on you. Biblical Christianity focuses you and your faith on Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of your faith. See if this is anthropocentric or Christocentric. But let's do this right. Here we go. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's um, sermon comes to us via Potential Church. They're not—they're no longer a church. They used to be a church, but now they're just a church in Potentia. And uh, they're out there in Florida somewhere. They're multi-site. they got a multi-site in the Bahamas and other places. And uh, Troy Gramling is uh, who we'll be listening to, to today. He has the uh, dubious distinction of being the pastor who's preached the worst Christmas sermon in the history of Christianity. Look in the archives of Fighting for the Faith for more details on that. But the sermon we're going to be listening to today is entitled Unexpected, Heroes Unveiled. This is the first sermon in the Unexpected Heroes Unveiled sermon series. And, well, let's, as we always do, open our Bibles. We'll listen to how he handles God's Word. Check it in context. But I want you to ask yourself, is this truly Christocentric or is this anthropocentric? Is he focusing you on Christ rightly handling God's word so that your faith and trust in Jesus is buttressed, built up, edified, that your self-reliance, your self-righteousness is smashed, your sins are confronted, and you are comforted with the good news that Christ died for your sins. Is is that what's happening? Or is this man-centered, out-of-context false theology that focuses you on you and you become the solution to your own problem? Think about it as we... Listen to today's sermon, Unexpected, Heroes Unveiled. Here we go. I have a dream. And you know what I've discovered is that dreams often come from unexpected places and unexpected people. 
heroes, right? This whole series is talking about unexpected and how uh, heroes sometimes come from the most unexpected places. It reminded me of the old Superman television show. It always amazed me that they weren't able to tell that Clark Kent was actually Superman. It's amazing what those little glasses could hide, isn't it? I mean, you look at it and you're thinking, come on, guys. Looks like the same guy. How many of you have a dream for, let's say, your family? How many of you have a dream for your family? Raise your hand. How many of you have a dream for your business? Raise your hand. Or your profession, right? You got this kind of dream you think about there. How many of you dream of one day being a reality TV star? (laughs) All right, that's... Off to a bad start here, Uh, not in a biblical text, focusing you on who? You. The way to go. How many of you have a a money dream? Raise your hand. A money dream? All right. You're like, I don't know. They're going to take that offering? I'm not sure. Raise my hand or not. You're right. I'm sure most of us have thought at one time or another, I would like to have more in the future than I have right now. How many of you have a spiritual dream? Raise your hand. It's like church, right? You have to raise your hand for that one. Some of you are like, ah, yeah, woo, go Jesus, you know? Dreams. Martin Luther King said he had a dream. Now, if you're sitting there... Yeah, I have a dream, all right. The dream that uh, guys like you are run out of the, the church at large and are discredited and no longer listened to and go bankrupt and these seeker-driven, narcissistic mega churches disappear. Yeah, I got a dream, all right. And you're like, oh, I just don't get into this, Troy. I'm, uh, it's dangerous to not have a dream. It, it really, the Bible says it. We're going to look at it. It's dangerous. If you're in- Really, the Bible says it's dangerous to not have a dream? I don't think so. Although he's going to try to make it look like that. The reason that it is, well, Proverbs 29, 18 tells us. Let's read it out loud. The first part of it, if you would, join me. All right? Just the first phrase there. Without. Let's read it again one more time. Without revelation. The old King James used to say, without a vision, the people perish. Okay. <laughs> the, I don't know what translation he was looking at, but it, he had it say that the uh, without revelation, the people run wild. So let's take a look at that passage from Proverbs again, and uh, let's take a look at it in context to see what it actually says. It's Proverbs 29, verse 18 And in this particular case, even though it's in the Proverbs, you know, keep in mind, Proverbs, a lot of times they, uh, they kind of stand alone. And what I mean is, is that there's an entire thought just within a particular verse. But here's what it says from the ESV. It says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Now, it, that's a colon, uh, not a colon, a comma after that. But there's a, this, that's like half of a sentence. So if somebody quotes to you Proverbs 29, verse 18, and they said, oh, the Bible says without a vision, people perish, right? Well, that's a half sentence, half sentence. And the question is, what is meant in that half sentence by the word vision or revelation? What is being referred to? Well, actually, it says, if you look in the context, continue the sentence, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the Torah. 
the law. Hmm. What does that mean? The prophetic vision, the prophetic revelation that Proverbs 29.18 says that if people don't have it, they cast off restraint. Yeah, that would be God's word, the written word of God. And do we not see this bearing out in our own society? As our society goes from being predominantly a society comprised of Christians to predominantly comprised of a society of non-Christians, do we see an increase in evil or a decrease in evil? Answer, we see an increase in evil. People are casting off restraint. What we've seen is the destruction of the family, marriage, uh, high instances of divorce. We're seeing uh, you know, gay marriage being embraced and blessed. That's an example of what this passage is talking about. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the Torah, the law, the written word of God. That's what's being talked about here. So it's not about you having a dream for your finances, a dream for your marriage, a dream for your career, a dream, a spiritual dream or anything of the sort. That's not what this text is referring to. And anybody who tries to basically turn this into some grand vision that you're supposed to have for your life is missing the entire point is either completely ignorant of what the Bible really says and doesn't know how to rightly handling it, handle it and shouldn't be preaching, or worse, they're purposely deceiving you. But again, who, who, who is this focusing you on now? You and your dreams and your visions and your future and your whatever. This is anthropocentric, not Christocentric. Let's read it again one more time. Without revelation, people. The old King James used to say, without a vision, the people perish. Without a word, the people cast off restraint, the NIV says. In other words, you go in a whole lot of different directions. It is vision that gives you focus. Without a dream, you know what you do? You wonder. You get up, it's Monday. What am I going to do? Well, I got to be at work. Now, everything he's saying at this point shows that his, his complete ignorance of what this passage is actually saying. So everything he's saying that he thinks somehow is, you know, builds off of this verse, it's all false because he, does, he hasn't rightly understood what this passage is about at all. And your whole life becomes about what you have to do, not where you want to go. Well, I got to go to work and then I need to take the dog here. And I got, and your whole life, it, without a dream, the Bible says you wander, you, you, you drift, you, you just kind of go wherever the world takes you, wherever. That's not what this passage said at all. Who's he preaching about? You, not Christ, you. The wind is blowing. So it's really dangerous to not have a dream because life has no purpose. It has no real focus. It, it has no clear direction. There's no peace. There's no joy. I mean, you're just, you're just alive. And so the Bible... Oh, no, you're just alive without a focus and with no joy. I mean, you're purposeless. Gasp. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, Troy, but I know a lot of unbelievers who seem pretty driven and think that they have a purpose in life, and they seem pretty happy to me. I know a lot of pagans who are, they're not suffering from insecurity or purposelessness or unhappiness, and they're not just waking up every morning in neutral going, 
What am I going to do? I don't have a vision. I don't have, I, I need a vision. I need, no, they don't do that at all. This is absolute nonsense. Bible says that we need to get a word. We need to get a revelation. We need to get a dream. We need to get a purpose because, and, and, and the reason it's so important is because I got like, I, 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 I didn't fall out of a tree and I didn't get washed up on the shore. God made me. And God made me to accomplish something of significance. Now, what I've got to do is... Yeah, God made you and God made you to accomplish, accomplish something of significance. What passage are you getting that from again? It may or may not be true, but I'm not going to say it's true unless you absolutely show me in context a passage that says exactly that. Discover that dream because Scripture says that God will give me the desires of my heart. So uh, this because scripture says God will give me the desires of my heart out of context again, who's this focusing on you process. So if you don't know what your dream is, please spend some time discovering why your heart beats, spend some time discovering why it is that you're here on, on planet earth, because without one, you're just going Drift. You see, yeah, I'm on, apparently I'm on planet Earth to rebuke and correct false teachers like you and warn the body of Christ about men like you. What a great purpose. I feel like I'm having so much influence and affluence now, yeah. Oh, I'm so glad I discovered my purpose. With kids all the time, don't we? Right? If, if, you, get, if you have a, a young child or if you have a, a toddler, uh, elementary age, and you get into the car and you're like, man, I'm just tired. I really don't. Uh, and you get in the car and say, hey, kids, I want to make dinner. Where do you want to eat? Well, if you have more than one child, it's going to sound something like this, right? One child's going to say, I want to go to McDonald's. I love McDonald's. They got great toys. And what's the other child going to say? Yuck. I hate McDonald's. I want pizza. Woo. No, not pizza. I want to go to Burger King. The third, Mommy, I know we're going to McDonald's. We always go to McDonald's. You like him best. I know that you do. Right? And all of, you got all of this stuff going on. Why? Because there's no vision. There's no, like, this is where we're going. It's a totally different experience if you get into the car and you're... Oh, no. There's no vision. This is terrible. What, what People are going to perish. Quick, do something. They're in danger. Like, hey, guess what? I'm going to take us to dinner and we're going to go to this place that is incredible. I mean, they've got this to eat and they've got this kind of playground and they've got, and you got, man, and you cast that vision. Your kids are much more likely to align themselves. Why? Because there's direction and it's the same for your business. It's the same for ministry. Cast the vision regarding dinner. Oh, man. And so that's why the Bible says that it's important for us to have a dream. So if you want to pull out the outline that you got when you came in, I want to talk about a, a dream in the life of Joseph. Now, I don't know if you've read the story of Joseph. I would encourage you to do so. It's a, a dream in the life of Joseph. That was not some strategic vision that he had for his life. That was actually a prophetic vision. Big difference. A pretty popular story in the scripture. Joseph had 11 brothers. They all eventually became the 12 tribes of Israel. They became the nation, the people of God. 
Abraham got a promise from God that one day he'd be a great nation. Joseph is in that line of people who eventually will lead to King David and then to Jesus himself. But, but Joseph didn't take this straight line to success. His life looked a whole lot different. I put it like this in your straight line to success. It wasn't a straight line to success. So you, the, the same applies to you, apparently. What is this doing? This is absolutely just building up and pl- and basically catering to your ego. This is about you, your greatness, your dream for your life, your ra- your road, your path to success. Oh, what a what a user-friendly message this is. No sin, no repentance, no forgiveness of sins thus far, right? Um, nothing really about Jesus except for a mention that Joseph is in the line of Jesus. But uh, that story is there to inspire you to find your dream and vision for your life. It, it, apparently, it's the, the big vision-casting passage of Scripture. But it's not. Your outline, the unveiling of an unexpected hero. And the reason it's unexpected is because if you look in your outline, I put, he was hated by his brothers. He was misunderstood by his father. He was forgotten by his friends. And he was accused by his employer. Now, often when you read... And he was twisted by this pastor. Something like that. You don't think, now there's success. There's somebody that's going to make it. And yet, he was promoted by his enemies, and he did live his dream. That's what I want. He he lived his dream. Like, like, you know, when you are a kid, you're growing up, and you dream of being a firefighter. Um, uh, Sorry, Joseph didn't dream of being, you know, second in command of Egypt. That wasn't his dream. That was a vision given to him by God, prophetically telling him where God was taking him. But it's not like we're saying, I've always wanted to be like a king. Off for you. That's the reason I challenge you to be here every week. That's the reason we do everything that we do at Potential Church. It's because I want you, we want you to live your dream, to be everything God's created you to be. Because in doing so, we'll change the world. And doing so. Really, that's what Christianity is all about, helping you live your dreams so we can change the world. Not the Great Commission. This is something very different. And who is the focus on? You. So we will turn this thing around. Now, when you, you read the story of Joseph, what's funny is sometimes people, because we're going to find that he ends up being sold as a slave by his brothers. Right? Remember I said they hated him. He goes from there to being second in command of the most powerful nation in the world. And sometimes when you think, man, he went from prison to the palace. He went from prison to Pharaoh's court. It's easy to think, well, that's an overnight success. But that's not the way this deal works. How do you live your dream? I'm going to tell you three things really quick today, okay? If you want to kind of hear the whole thing, I think you can go online on Saturday. Well, based on what you did with that Christmas sermon, you know, where you have Jesus in the manger phase of his life and, you know, all that other kind of nonsense that you did. Uh, just let me take a stab here. Is, are we going to have the sold into slavery phase, the uh, put in prison phase? W- what phases are we looking at here? 
Sunday evenings, we have a whole lot more time. But I want to give you three things real quick that you already probably know. But I want to encourage you. I want to remind you. Because you can live your dream. I don't care where you're at today. I don't care how many times you've screwed up or how well you've had it. You can live your dream. And it's not dependent upon anyone other than you. Because you, you, you. Who's this about? You. God's already said it. You just have to decide whether or not you're going to embrace that. So how do you do it? Joseph's a great one to look at. I I put in your outline the unexpected journey to our dreams. The first thing you and I have to do, one word, is persevere. The first thing, how do you live your dream? First thing you have to do is you have to. You have to. You Is, is he telling anything about what Jesus has done for you? Nope. This isn't Christ-centered. Um, where in the story of Joseph does it say you have to persevere if you want to live your dream? Answer, the story of Joseph has nothing to do with you living your dream. You're going to have to persevere. And I thought, well, maybe that's not clear enough. Let me put it in two words. Don't quit. You've got to persevere. Don't quit. Well, let me give it to you in three words. Never give up. Persevere. Don't quit. Never give up. Could you say those with me? Persevere. Don't quit. Never give up. One more time. This time I want you to look, though, at somebody. You can look at whoever you want to. Look at them, all right? I know it's uncomfortable, but we're going we're gonna to rally one another. Now we're going to say it again. Here we go. Persevere, quit, never give up, right? You know what that reminds me of, by the way? It reminds me of the movie uh, Galaxy Quest. You remember this line from Galaxy Quest? That's what you have to do. You know what I've discovered in the 46 years that I've been on planet Earth? That used to sound so old, but now it seems pretty young. You know what I've learned in my biggest temptation in 46 years? And there's a lot of temptations on planet Earth, isn't there? There's a lot of opportunities to make the wrong decision. The biggest temptation that I've faced since I've been alive is to quit. It's just to give up. Now, we don't tend to announce... I quit, I give up. We don't ring the bell like the Navy SEALs and say, I'm done. We just start drifting. We just put the dream, pack it away and put it in the closet. Think that we're destined to something a little bit less. The biggest temptation I've faced, and I would dare say that the biggest temptation you're going to face, to give up. To give up on your dream. To give up, we talked about a financial dream, give up on that. A family dream, to give up on that. A spiritual dream, to, to give up on that. Say, oh, that'll, that'll never happen to me. I'll never experience that. And the reason is, is because whatever dream it is you have in your heart, it's going to cost more than you thought it was going to cost. It's going to cost more, not just financially. It's going to cost more emotionally. It's going to cost more of your time. When the dream was in your put in, first put into your heart, it costs more than you thought it was going to cost. It hurts more than you thought it was going to hurt. People have said, done, you've experienced things. 
costs more than you thought, hurt more than you thought, and it's going to take longer than you thought. I told you I was going to encourage you today. All right? But that's the truth, right? And therefore, there's always this temptation to give up, to quit, to surrender, to coast. And there's only one way to coast, isn't there? You can't coast uphill. It's always downhill. And there are some of you right now, you have already given up and you've hired a legal defense team that's run to the front end of your mind. You have, you have, you have. This is anthropocentric. This isn't Christocentric. He's not preaching Christ. To come against what we're going to talk about today. You've already, but you don't understand my circumstances. You don't understand my situation. You don't understand what's going on. And I don't, I don't want to downplay what you're going through, the tall weeds that you're in. But what I do know is that no matter what you're going through, you can still live your dream because that's what the scripture promises, but you can't give up. Where does the scripture promise that again? You haven't showed us a passage that says that. No matter how hard it is, you can't give up. No matter how much it costs, you can't give up. No matter how hurt you are, you can't give up. And that is a decision that everybody in this room and every single chair makes every single day. You're going to give up today and go through the motions, or you're going to say, no, i got a dream. I've got a calling. There's something significant in my life, and I'm going to run after that. Now, the reason we give up is because it, just, it takes so long. I was thinking about that even this week. And I was thinking about Joseph. From the time Joseph got the dream to the time Joseph experienced the dream, you know how long it was? It was somewhere between 22 and 23 years. 22 and 23 years from Joseph. So we had to go through the perseverance phase, the never give up, never surrender phase. The time he received the dream to the time he actually experienced the dream. And I thought, well, you know what? Okay, that's Joseph in the scripture. Let's look at some folks that you and I know. For example, how about LeBron James? Okay, LeBron James. Yeah, LeBron James picked up a basketball when he was nine. He won the M- uh, LeBron James is not in the Bible. NBA championship when he was 28 years old. So that's what? 19 years that it took for him to actually experience the dream. Now, I know, and if you read the story of LeBron's life, I mean, there's some real challenges this guy's faced. He had some real opportunities to give up. And I know there's some of us who say, Troy, the dude's making $100 million a year. I, I, man, come on. But you know what I'd tell you is I'd tell you 120 miles from here, there are thousands of people who live on an island called Cuba who wouldn't understand in the world how somebody in the U.S. making $30,000 a year could be unhappy because they make 1500 It's not about the money. It really isn't. 19 years. I thought, well, if we keep going, what about Walt Disney? In 1922, Walt Disney really began this whole idea. Uh, Walt Disney's not in the Bible. Notice this is (laughs) purely anthropocentric now with, you know, just man-centered examples. Just pick any LeBron James and Walt Disney. Who's next? Mickey Mouse? How long did it take him to go through the perseverance phase? Of entertainment. It was 1937 when Snow White, the first animated film, came out. So that's about 15 years 
of struggle and challenge. It was what, 1955 when Disneyland finally came into existence. That was 18 years. So it's 33. So notice, apparently the big thing that Christianity is going to teach you is how to live your dreams like LeBron James and Walt Disney. Walt Disney's dead. Um, and LeBron James, he's just a mere man. Give it, you know, 50, 60 years. He'll be gone too. Um, if Christ doesn't return, how does this have anything to do with Christianity? And none of the biblical passages that you've even remotely referenced teach any of this idea that you're trying to put forward here in this so-called sermon. Years. Again, if you read the lie up and down, Roy Disney, his brother, kept going to the bank trying to get the money for this. Made a real, real challenge. 33 years of challenge. What about, we saw him just a few moments ago, Martin Luther King, 1963. He gave- and Martin Luther King and Martin Luther, neither of them are in the Bible. Gave the I have a dream speech. And while I know we're not there yet totally, in 2008, Barack Obama was elected president. That's 45 years from the dream that he had being anywhere near actually being experienced. It's a long time. The most, some would say, the greatest president that we've ever had in 18, <clears throat> yeah, 1832. In 1860, Abraham Lincoln entered into politics in 1832. In 1860, he was elected. Yeah, I I think a lot of the folks who live in the South still consider Abraham Lincoln to be an aggressor, and they call the Civil War the the War of Northern Aggression. I don't think there's a lot of people who would unanimously agree with you regarding Abraham Lincoln. Um, President, that's 28 years, okay? 28 years. And if you've read the story of Abraham Lincoln, you know, he had a very up and down. I mean, things were challenging and difficult. See, the problem is, is that we think dreams are supposed to go like this. I have a dream. I live a dream. And as long as we're marching up that hill, we are pumped up. We are excited. But the moment this is not Christianity, folks, this is a completely different religion different gospel, different religion that focuses you on you and your dreams rather than on Christ, your crucified and risen Savior who died on the cross for your sins and calls you to repent and trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins and bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. It goes down. Uh, Can I draw Joseph's for you? Joseph had a dream. We're going to read in a moment. He shared it with his brothers and it immediately got bad. And it stayed bad for quite a while, but then he got a unique opportunity. It didn't last very long. He ends up back in prison before he ever experiences his dream. 22 years. Some of us, we start a new job and we're excited about the opportunity. We tell our family and friends, you're not going to believe where I'm working. Or we go to a new ministry and we're like, woo. And if in six months, it's not everything we thought. We're like, I'm quitting. This place stinks. These people are idiots. It's horrible. All right. And the enemy keeps us going from one place to another, looking for instant dream. It doesn't exist. It keeps you distracted your whole life from actually experiencing the very thing that God created us to experience. Let's read a little of Joseph's story so you can kind of get a feel for what's going on, all right? 
Look with me in chapter 37. We're going to just read verses 5 through 10. It says, one night, Joseph had, what do he have? He had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they, what? <laughs> they hated him even more than ever. You know what that means? They okay, no, Keep this in mind. This was a prophetic dream regarding what God was going to do with Joseph. And all of this prefigures Jesus Christ. Joseph, in the book of Genesis, is one of the clearest foreshadowings of the life of Jesus Christ that we see in all of the Old Testament itself, not just Genesis. So there's a lot more going on here, and this is not the same thing as you have a dream for your finances or you have a dream for this. That This was a divine call on his life to for a particular task that had to do with the survival of the people of Israel. And why was that important? Because in the people of Israel... It was the direct genetic line of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That That's what was going on there. This was all about protecting the, the people of God and pulling them through so ultimately God would make good on his promise to give us a Savior so that that Savior then would be the one who dies on the cross for our sins, that promised seed of Abraham, in whom all of the nations of the world, the tribes and nations of the world would be blessed. That's what's going on there with, with Joseph. Not the same thing with, oh, I have a dream for a, an important career move I want to make. Not even close to the same thing. In fact, to to take Joseph's dream that God gave him prophetically and liken it to LeBron James, Walt Disney, uh, Martin Luther King, or Abraham Lincoln is to completely miss the whole point of what that dream was all about. He hated him before he had the dream. And the reason they hated Joseph is because Joseph wasn't going to settle for where he was. He knew that God had something greater. People don't like that. All right. Look in the very next verse. He tells them the dream. He says, listen to me, guys. He says, we were all out in the field. We're tying up these bundles of grains. Suddenly, out of nowhere, my bundle just stands up. And your bundles, they all gather around and bow low before mine. His brothers were tickled pink. They said, so you think you're going to be our king? Really? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they what? Even the more because of what? His dreams. That's what makes dreams so hard. Is that when you get a dream, you're like, everybody's going to love this. Guys, look, this is. There is no promise in Genesis that you're going to get a dream like Joseph's. That is not what this passage is saying at all. Notice again, anthropocentric, focusing you on you, not focusing you on Christ. What God's put on my heart. I mean, that's what Joe, Joe says, guys, look, man, God's called me to be a leader. And I don't know what the future is going to hold, but there's going to be an opportunity for me to lead. And they're like, no, no. Next verse. So Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers all about it. He said, guys, listen, I've got another dream. The sun and the moon and the 11 stars. How many brothers did Joseph have? He had 11. The 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. This is dad. Dad's going to say, chip off the old block. Way to go, son. That's what I've been doing. I've been raising you to be a leader. I've been raising you for the future. I've been pouring into you because I see God's hand on your life. That's not what 
That's not what he said, is it? He scolded him. He said, what in the world kind of dream is that? Do you really think that your mother and I are going to bow down before you? Joseph shares his dream and he immediately gets attacked by it. I don't know. Maybe you've read online about the, uh, what they call the, the, the crab mindset. And I wanted to know whether it was true or not because you can't believe everything you read online. I know it's crazy, but that's true. You can't believe it. So I went out and I got me some crabs here. Because what they tell you is that if you put one crab in a container, that one crab will climb out of the container. But if you put more than one crab in the container, the moment one tries to get out, one of the others are going to grab it and pull that sucker back in. Yeah, that's great and all, but that particular thing that you've observed is not found in the Bible. Again, this is totally anthropocentric. God's name is used, God is referenced, but God is not being proclaimed. Jesus is kind of making cameo appearance, but he, appearances, but he is not being preached. You are. Where in the world do you think you're going? Now, if I had the courage to actually put my hand in here and grab one of these bays, and I were to go pull this guy here up, all right? You know what would happen is the moment I began to grab him, one of the other crabs would reach up and grab him. You can't just pull one out. You have to pull them all out. Because the moment you pick up one, the other crab's like, where do you think you're going, buddy? You get back down here. And you know what I've discovered? There are a lot of crabby people in this world. I mean, the moment you... So you have a dream and there's going to be crabby people who are going to grab you and pull you back down to earth so that you don't get to experience your dream. That's not what was going on in the story of Joseph, folks. This is completely missing the point. Again, this is a different religion altogether. This is not Christianity. You start to get ahead, the moment you decide you're going to do something with your life, the moment you decide you're going to make something, the moment you decide, I am going to live my dream, they're like, come on. And they reach up and they grab you and they say, you're not going anywhere. And they try to pull you back down. They try to get you to quit. The moment you have a dream, people are not going to believe. The moment you have a dream, people are not going to believe. First of all, they're not going to believe in the dream. Again, the Bible does not promise you a dream. It doesn't. This is a complete distraction. It promises you the forgiveness of your sins, repent of your wickedness, and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. What does dad say? What kind of dream is that, Joe? That's crazy. That'll never happen. I can remember from the time I was a teenager, I thought I was going to be a coach. But I, from the time I was, man, I wanted to be a part of something that's going to change the world. And I was excited about being an opportunity to pour into the lives of, of young men who then could do incredible things. And when I, God nudged my heart to go into ministry, and I've sat down with so many different... No, that wasn't God nudging your heart. You do not rightly handle God's word. Uh, spiritual leaders over... Um, the time I've been in ministry and like, man, I just want to, I want to be a person to change the world. And they always tell me that's not going to happen. People won't sacrifice. People won't go along. The moment you have a dream, the first thing that happens is people won't believe the dream. Come on. That's too big. That's not going to, you start a comp, come on. And the temptation then is to doubt God because where did the dream come? It came from God. 
And so you're like, well, no, it didn't. There's no verse that says this, that God's promising you dreams. So God doesn't do what he lays on your heart. God doesn't give you the desires of your heart. God put a dream in your heart that he didn't give you what you need to accomplish. And you start to doubt God because see the enemy of a dream is doubt and fear. And so the enemy's always working to try to get you not to take steps of faith because faith is like a muscle. It gets stronger as you use it. And so the enemy will use a little crabby person to reach up and say, that's stupid. That'll never work. That'll never happen. That'll never take place. The second thing is that people will not believe in you, that you can accomplish the dream. You, you, come on. Do you know what, where you grew up? Do you know who your parents are? And when that happens, you begin not only to doubt God, you also begin to doubt yourself. Remember what his brother said? He says, so you think you will be our king. You ever had that happen with your friends or family? You start to run after a dream and they say things like this. You just think you're better than us, don't you? You just think because your name is on the door that now you're more important than us. Now, who died and made you boss? Right? And, and then you start to doubt yourself. Man, maybe I can't do this. Maybe I don't know the right people. Maybe I don't have enough education. The enemy will whisper in your head, you're really going to serve God? You? You know what you were doing just two months ago? You really think you're going to have a good marriage? Do you remember what happened in your last relationship? Do you, you, you remember what you said and what you did? You remember the pain that you caused? The enemy will immediately begin to attack you because the enemy wants you to doubt yourself when God says that you are a masterpiece, that he knit you. Oh, man. See, God said you're a masterpiece. You're doubting yourself. That's somehow, oh, man. The... Th what Satan tries to do is get us to doubt Christ, doubt his forgiveness, doubt his mercy, doubt that he exists, doubt that he's good. It, doubt ourselves, and this is all based upon a narcissistic, anthropocentric mangling of God's word. God does not promise in his Bible to give you dreams, to make you important and affluent and, uh, and all this kind of nonsense. This is... Well, like I've been saying, it's a different religion. It's patently absurd. You, not somebody else. He knit you together in your mother's womb to do incredible things, to accomplish significance. You. See, when you and I are confident in who we are, that's not pride. You, 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 all about you. This isn't about Jesus. He's not preaching Christ. He's preaching you. I, that's faith. It's realizing God made me. And because God made me, I will live the dream that he's put in my heart. What verse says that? Just because God made you does not mean that he promises to give you a dream in your heart. This is unbelievably horrible. But, oh, crabby people, man, they'll grab you to try to pull you down. 
tell you, you can't do that. And if they can't get you to doubt God, and if they can't get you to doubt yourself, they'll take it a step further and they'll actually come against you. Yeah, apparently like the way I'm doing now to warn everybody, this is false doctrine. This is not what the Bible teaches. This is not Christianity. Get you to doubt the dream. Look at what happens. I want you to read Genesis chapter 37. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him at a distance. I like that. There was something about Joseph in the way that he walked that they could tell it was him. He's different from everybody else. And I think it was because Joseph knew he was created by God to do something of significance. You're not like everybody else. You have a destiny and a purpose. And as he approached, they made plans to do what? Kill him. Well, we've stepped it up a notch now, haven't we? They're not just saying, Joe, who do you think you are? They're not just saying, Joe, that is a crazy dream. Now they're saying, we're going to take you out. And why are they going to take him out? Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him. Let's throw him into one of those cisterns. We can tell dad that a wild animal ate him. And then we'll see what becomes of his dream. Why do they want to kill their brother? Because of his dream? Because of his dream. I'm going to tell you, man, people get fearful of dreams. Because everybody has to respond to a dream. Look, if we're all content to be in the cage, that's fine. But the moment somebody says, no, 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 I was created for more than this. I was created to do something of significance. Everybody has to respond to that. It's just, Lottie, come on, bro. Let's just, let's just, take, let's just get rid of that person so we can all go back to just being normal. It doesn't take near as much energy to be normal. You have to persevere. You're going to have every reason in the book to give up. You know, I I, I put some up here. I forgot in the last service, but got some WD-40. Anybody ever used WD-40? I mean, you can do anything with this stuff. I think you can cook a cake with it if you want to or something like that. I mean, this stuff is incredible. You know how it got its name? WD-40. The WD stands for water displacement. The 40 is the 40th attempt. 39 times they screwed this thing up. But on the 40th, they got it right. And so we all know what the blue and the yellow can is. I wonder if they just, if they would have quit on the 38th. Do you think we wouldn't have it? No, somebody else just would have discovered it. Listen, God is going to get his will done. That's not the... So WD-40 proves that God's going to get his will done by giving you a dream and then make sure that it happens so you got to persevere. WD-40 is not found in the Bible. And again, notice, this is all focused on you. What have you really learned about the Bible? Nothing. What have you heard about Christ? Nothing. I mean... God is there to give you a dream. It's all about you. You got to make the decision. You got to persevere. You got to, you got to, you got to, you got to, you got to. Talk about a new legalism. I mean, back in the day, I mean, Christianity was pretty straightforward. If you were a Christian, you didn't smoke, drink, or chew. This new version of Christianity, I'm not saying, by the way, that was Christianity. It's just kind of the legalistic form of Christianity that was pretty prominent uh, in the circles I ran in when I was younger. But this new kind of Christianity, you got to have a dream and you got to have a big one. You got to persevere and you got to not let the crabs pull you down and all this kind of stuff. 
Good night. It's easier to not drink, smoke, chew, or go with girls to do. Question. The question is, are you going to be the one? He created you for that purpose. No, no, no. Jesus is the one. See, that's the thing. Jesus is the one. Not me, not you. Him. But he's going to accomplish his purpose. It's just the question. Are you going to give up? Are you going to quit? Are you going to blame culture, economy, your friends, your family, the way you grew up? I mean, there are... I haven't received a dream from God. Sorry. A million different things to blame. Or you can say, my God is greater than anything the enemy may bring against me. And there is no way the enemy can stop me. (laughs) Really, there's no way the enemy can stop me. Oh, man, what a miserable mess this is. The only one that has put up even a, the only one of humanity who put up a fight against the devil and won, the only one was Jesus when he was tempted by the devil. Every single one of us, yeah, 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 it's not so good. Let's just put it that way. He tried to take Joseph out, but God said, I didn't create him to fail. I created him to succeed. So it doesn't matter who. what verse says that not any verses in Genesis who wants to kill him. He's going to live. Same is true for you and me. Acts tells us God is no respecter of persons. So we've got to persevere, not quit. Just because Acts says God's no respecter of persons doesn't mean that God promises to promises to give us a dream like he gave Joseph. This is unbelievably, breathtakingly blasphemous as to how he is mishandling God's word. And never give up. Here's the second thing that we have to do. It too is a one word. It's to lead. To lead. So persevere. You got to go through the perseverance phase. Then you got to lead. If you're going to live your dream, you got to lead. You got to lead in your family. You got to lead in your business. You got to lead your life. Gotta lead you. Three areas again. Don't have a lot of time, but I'll share them with you. You, you got to lead first of all in sharing hard truths. If you look in Genesis thirty-seven and verse two, when hard truths. Yeah, you mean like people are sinners in need of a savior. There's no salvation outside of Christ. Those kind of hard truths. Joseph, it says, was seventeen years old. He told his dad a hard truth. He told his dad that his brothers weren't getting it done. Joseph was the smallest one. They're all out there working on the farm. And Joe has to go to his dad. Now, do you know what happened when Joe told his dad things weren't getting done? His brothers didn't like it. The hardest thing to do sometimes is to be the leader. Because if you're the leader, you know what you have to do? You have to lead You, 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 this is all about you. This isn't about Jesus. This is about you. This is anthropocentric, not Christ-centered. If you're the boss, you know what you have to do? You have to be the boss. And most people don't like the boss. You know why? Because the boss is being the boss. The boss is the one that says excellence is what we need. You know what? We're going to have to stick around here. We're not leaving until we get this thing right. Now, nobody wants to stick around and get it right. That's why they did it crappy in the first place is to get out. So when you step up and you say, no, no, I'm going to lead this and we're going to do this right. It's not a popular thing to do. And we all like to be liked, don't we? It's hard to lead out with a hard truth. What's the most challenging thing to do as a parent? (laughs) It's to discipline. 
I hate disciplining my kids. And yet the Bible says that if you love your children, you will discipline them. It says if you spare the rod, if you spare discipline, you actually spoil the child. Why? Because discipline is not about punishment for today's action. It's about preparation for tomorrow's success. I don't discipline my kids because I'm mad about what they did today. I discipline my kids because I'm preparing them to succeed tomorrow. And therefore, it takes discipline to discipline. You have to be intentional about it. But I don't like it. Right? The The moment the kids know that you know. Daddy, no. I promise I'll never do it again. I'll never. I promise I'll never. And girls are better at it than boys. Like, Daddy, you're so handsome. Ah, <laughs> oh, I don't want discipline. But that's what leaders do, don't they? If you want to live your dream, you got to do the hard thing. I promise, you want a promotion at your workplace? If you'll do the hard thing, you'll get promoted because this is the one thing most people won't do. And you know what? They, they push it up. Well, you know what the supervisor says. I think it's stupid too, but we got to stay after. They push it up. He promised if you'll start doing that, you'll get promoted. You'll get promoted quick. Why? Because that's leadership. That's the way you and I are able to live our dreams. The founder and CEO of Amazon.com said, um, Jeff Bezos, not found in the Bible. This sermon is utter biblical nonsense. This is not a Christian sermon. Nothing in the sermon is actually what the Bible says or teaches or what we're supposed to be preaching, teaching, and confessing. You will find no sermon even remotely close to this in any of the sermons of the church fathers, and we have a lot of them. One of the key elements of being a good, he said business, but I think it's family leader, every area, is the capacity to tell hard truth. In the book, Good to Great, Jim Collins talks about uh, confronting the brutal facts. So you got to lead in telling hard truths. Secondly, when it comes to leadership, you've got to lead in modeling a strong work ethic. You've got to lead in modeling a strong work ethic. Look what it says in verses 39 and 36. Now, remember what happened. Joe was sold as a slave by his brothers. The, the one who they sold Joe to now sells Joe to an Egyptian leader, kind of like a congressman of his day, an important person. He's got lots of money. He's got a big place and he buys Joe as a slave. What does a slave do? A slave doesn't lead. A slave does whatever you want the slave to do. Right now, look at what happens to Joe. It says, so Potiphar gave Joseph complete administration responsibilities. What does that mean? He made Joe the leader. Joe wasn't being told what to do. Joe told people what to do of everything he owned. Not just the everything he owned at home, in the business with Joseph there. He didn't have to worry about a thing except the kind of food he's going to eat. Life was good. Now, how do you think Joe went from being a slave to being over everything in Potiphar's house? He worked hard. Hard work. If you want to live your dream, you, it, it takes a work ethic. You got you to work hard. Um, he wasn't living his dream. He was a slave. 
You, you got to get up early. You got to stay late. You know, in our society today, it's difficult to find people who are willing to work hard. I mean, it seems to me that so many times people work harder trying to pretend to work hard than they do actually working hard. I know if you own a business or you're a supervisor or a manager, it's hard to find people. Now here at Potential, man, we've uh, been incredibly blessed because we got some really hardworking people, hardworking volunteers, a hardworking staff that do so much more than what they're asked. But you know who ought to be the hardest working people in all of our world? Christ followers. And the reason is because scripture says your boss is not your boss. Your supervisor may be an idiot in your eyes. They may not do anything right, but the Bible says that we need to do work with all of our might, with our hands unto the Lord. It's God who's our supervisor. I'm not working to please my manager. I'm working to please God. I'm going to give it everything my hands find to do. The scripture says everything your hands find to do, do it with all of your might unto the Lord. Your supervisor ought to be saying, where do you go to church? I want to go down there and hire some people. Because man, that's where the past hardest working people are. Why? Because we're Christ followers and we've got a dream to live. We've got a world to change. We've got a difference to make. And so we're going to give it everything we've got because we know that God's got a destiny for us. (laughs) Got to work hard. And you read a lot today about balance. You know, that everything on this side of your life needs to weigh the same as everything on this side of your life. That's crazy. You're not going to find balance in the scripture. You know what you're going to find in the scripture is that you're going to find rhythm and you're going to find seasons. The Bible says that there is a rhythm to life. Even in creation, work six, rest one. In other words, you know what God says? God says, live your life, live your life at work, live your life at home. Don't separate your life. You're never going to find where Peter says, oh, I can't show up today. Johnny's got a little league game. You know, find where Jesus said, hey, can we do the cross a little bit later? Because, you know, we're having a little small group get together at my house. You're not going to find that. You're going to find that they understood what their calling was. Even Jesus himself, he says, when you get heavy laden, when you get worn out, when you get beat up, you come to me and I, I'll dance with you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will dance with you. What? In other words, we'll do, we'll, we'll do life together. And in doing life together, as you follow me, he says, you will discover rest. Because God does things in a sense of rhythm. He says, this is your life. Your life is not divided into sections and it's not divided into parts. This is your life and your relationship life and your financial life and your spiritual life. It's all one life. Live it to the most. Go with it at it with a sense of passion in every single area. It bleeds over. The answer to your professional problem may be right here in your spiritual world. The answer to your spiritual issue may be right at the workplace. Gotta work hard. Gotta work hard. Then you gotta work harder. If you want to live your dream, that's what leadership is. So, and then when it comes to leadership, the last one I give you real quick is to lead not only in um, hard truths, not only in modeling work ethic, but also in making difficult decisions. 
When you look at Joseph, he's working hard, man. He's out there doing it. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. She says, come on, sleep with me. Come on, Joe. And you know what? She would have been an incredibly beautiful woman. I mean, this is a big temptation for Joseph. And then she goes from asking him to demanding, do you know who I am? I'm your boss. We bought you. You are our property. And Joseph, look what it says, but Joseph what? He refused. Uh-uh. And he lost his position because he took off. She grabbed his coat and then she claimed that he did what he didn't do. She said, he, he raped me. He did the unthinkable. He abused me. And Potiphar said, no deal. And Joseph ends up back in prison. Can you imagine? God, I'm doing everything you want me to do. I'm working hard. I'm leading. I'm... Been so easy to have quit, wouldn't it? Story of Joseph is not your story. And maybe that's where you are. You were trying to do everything God wanted you to do. And, and it hasn't turned out like you thought. So what? You, you quit. You quit serving. You quit being faithful. You quit giving. Quit working hard. You, you quit. Joseph didn't quit. He ends up in prison, but he still has faith in his God. That's why faith is so important. That's why the enemy's always battling you against it. And then the last thing, so you think about it, I've got to persevere. I've got... Now notice, this isn't faith in Christ. It's not faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for your salvation. This is faith in God to give you a vision and to help you persevere so that you can live the dream. Different faith, different object of faith altogether. In biblical Christianity, Christ is the author, perfecter, and object of our faith. He is the thing on which our faith centers on and who our faith trusts in. This, it's trusting God for an end. A mean, he's basically a means to an end. And the end that is that means is, well, the end is, well, you living the dream. Not your salvation, but you living the dream. To lead. And then thirdly, I've got a so good seed. Ah, I got a so good seed. Is this going to be money? Oh, I hope not. Got a so good seed. This is such a powerful principle. Man, if you and I can grab this, look what the scripture says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. It says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. In other words, what God says he will do, he will do. You will always harvest what you, what? What you plant. The old King James says... Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that does he also reap. The Bible says that whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. If you sow grapes, you're going to get grapes. If you sow oranges, you're going to get oranges. If you sow beans, you're going to get beans. If you sow Milo, you're going to get Milo. It's you sow money, you're going to get money. It's always the That's the theology of the uh, Word of Faith movement and the... TVN and televangelists. And by the way, he's a televangelist. That way, if you sow kindness, you're going to get kindness. If you sow mercy, you're going to get mercy. If you show, sow anger, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get anger. And that's exactly what happens here in the scripture. Reuben was the oldest brother of Job. 
And we don't have time to read it, but in Genesis chapter 37, Reuben, when they said, let's kill Joseph, Reuben stood up and he said, no, let's not kill him. Let's just put him in that hole over there. He'll eventually die anyways. We don't want to have innocent blood on our hands because the scripture says what Reuben was going to do was going to come back later and take, set Joseph free and take him back to his father. By the time Reuben got there, his brothers had already sold him. But Reuben saved his life. Cue sappy music. By the way, that is, this is an emotional manipulation technique to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the crowd, getting ready to do business with people. Now, Reuben didn't know that when he was saving Joseph's life, that one day when there was a famine in the land and there wasn't any food, that Joseph would be second in command of the most powerful nation in the world, which was Egypt who had taken and saved food during the good time so that he had it during the famine. And when Reuben came looking for food to survive on, guess who had it? Joseph. Because that's what Reuben sowed. Reuben saved Joe's life and Joe saved Reuben's life. Oh, Oh, man. Um, Yeah, and how come all the rest of his brothers also did just fine. They all lived too, uh, despite the fact that they wanted to murder him. You can count on it. What you sow is what you'll reap. Now, it was the brothers who eventually became the nation of Israel who sold Joseph into slavery. Well, in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 8, it says that eventually there was a Pharaoh that came to the power who didn't know Joseph. So you know what he did to the Israelites, the people of God? He enslaved them. Moses eventually comes several hundred years to set them free. Now, why were they enslaved? It's because that's exactly what they sowed. They No, that is not correct. They did not go into slavery because that's what they sowed. Keep in mind, even the tribes that were descended from Joseph were enslaved, and the tribe of Reuben was enslaved as well. This is patently false theology. There isn't a single biblical passage that says any of this. Sowed slavery and they reap slavery. Every day you're sowing. You're sowing kindness or you're sowing anger. You're sowing grace or mercy or you're sowing judgment. I mean, every day you're sowing and what you sow, the Bible says you will reap. God. Yeah, and the gospel is that Christ reaped all of the consequences of your sin, took them upon himself, bled and died and was punished in your place as your substitute on the cross. That's the gospel, but I, I don't know if he's going to get there, but I want to make sure you understood that. It's not mocked. He's always just. Paul said, He's taking up an offering one day. He says, guys, I just want you to know that if you're generous in this offering, then God's going to be generous with you. But if you're not... Man, see, I knew this was going to turn to money, and that's what it turned into. Not generous in the offering, then God's not going to be generous with you. What you say- Yeah, that's not what the passage says at all. It's not what it says. Oh, it's what you reap, every area of your life. What have you sown this week? Not, not what you thought, what, what did you really sow? Were you patient? Okay, keep in mind, 
anthropocentric, totally focused on you, 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 and you, and the things you got to do, 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 and do. And you gotta, you're got you going to reap what you sow, so you better start sowing the right things. What do you do? This is all law, no gospel, focused in on you. It's not preaching Christ. This is the exact polar opposite of what it means to preach a Christ-centered sermon. With the kids, patient. With the teachers, patient on the freeway. What would you sow? Because what we sow is what we reap. And believe it or not, that was the end of the sermon. It ends on the law, not the gospel. And that's what anthropocentric sermons do. Because there is no gospel. There's no good news. And you are going to reap what you sow. That is all law. That's bad news. That's not good news. And the good news is, well, Christ died for your sins so that you do not reap eternally what you have sown in this life in your rebellion and sinful actions and deeds and thoughts and the things you've done and not done against God. See the difference? You'll get a little bit more of of what it looks like to have a Christ-centered sermon tomorrow, one that focuses in on Christ. We may have a couple examples of that, but I want you to keep that in mind when we get tomorrow's episode of Fighting for the Faith. The difference between anthropocentric versus Christocentric. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>